Thank you for leading us in worship this morning. We appreciate it. I know this is a scary group to look at, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Let's take a moment and go to the Lord in a word of prayer as we turn to our text this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are patient with us. And Lord, we pray as we have set these few moments aside this morning, Lord, that we will sense your presence. We will hear, Father, from song, but we will hear from your word. Lord, that you will touch our hearts and our lives and inspire us, Lord, to walk with you and to live for you. Guide us, Lord, in that journey. We pray, Father, for our children as they worship together downstairs. And we pray, Father, for us. Grant us discernment as we seek to comprehend your word and apply it to our life. In Christ's name, Lord, we pray. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning in a text found in the book of 1 John. I'd like to read two verses. 1 John chapter 3. I know it's warm this morning. I promise you it's going to get cooler as the morning goes on. You, you, you with me there? It's working. It's just catching up. 1 John chapter 3. I'd like to read verses 18 and 19. Listen carefully. Dear children... Let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and with truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. Legitimate conversion. What did, it, what did Jesus mean when He looked at him and He said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Have you ever dyed a piece of cloth? Maybe you had something, you said, oh, that's the wrong color. I want it to be a little different. And you went to Walmart, you bought you some of that dye, and you throwed it in the washing machine. It's never been the same since, by the way. But you throw it in the washing machine, and the dye goes into the fabric, and all of a sudden, the color's different. You following me here? When you and I have a transforming experience with Jesus Christ, folks, we come out different. We're not perfect all of a sudden. We're like that piece of cloth. We don't get it all. But we are saved. We're changed. We're transformed. And as a result of that experience with Christ, our life alters. Now, it's a growing experience. I know that. I acknowledge that. Jesus taught us that we would grow one day at a time. Every day we are to grow in our walk with Him and our development to be like Him. You ever notice when your kids go to school, they start kindergarten or the first grade, that they learn to start off with what ABCs, and, and then they learn how to read a little bit and learn a little bit about math, a little bit, one piece, one step at a time. And so it is with the Christian life. We grow, we develop. We're not all we're going to be. Hopefully by the end of the journey, if we are, something's wrong with us. It is not about just coming to church and saying to ourselves, I'm going to do better. It's not about a personal promise that somehow I'm going to whip myself in shape and, and be a better man. 
If, if that's your goal, you're in for trouble and a long, bumpy ride. It is about surrendering our heart and our life to Jesus Christ and letting Him change us from the inside out. Because only He can do in us what God can do. There are a few passages I want to share with you. Not in word, he said. Not just talk about it. But indeed in truth. There's a parable Jesus shares in the 18th chapter of the book of Luke, beginning with verse 9. Verse 9 kind of sets the stage. Listen to what it says. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Sometimes I think the greatest enemy of the cause of Christ in the church is church people. Is people like me, the preacher. And the youth at school. And the worker at the work site. Why are we the worst witness? Because when we go out in the world and we say, I love Jesus in one breath and live like the devil in the other breath, we completely destroy the world's view of what it means to know Christ. Does that make sense? So if I'm a Christian and I'm telling dirty jokes in the locker room, what am I doing for the cause of Christ? If I'm a Christian... And I'm talking about some other kid at school and begrading them and downing them. What am I doing for the cause of Christ? If I'm a child of God and I'm lying, stealing, and cursing on the ball field or the practice band field, what am I doing for the cause of Christ? We can either be proof that Jesus can change a life or we can be the worst advertisement God ever had. We have to make a choice. And so Jesus talks about those who were confident. because, And I use such horrible examples this morning because that's who he's looking at here, okay? Now, I'm not talking about you, but I'm talking about what he's saying here. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and, and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told them this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, you know the story, don't you? What happened? And the Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. And he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now listen to what Jesus said. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, the religious man, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What's the problem here? The problem here is the attitude of a personal goodness. I have arrived. I have, a, I have achieved. They kept their 600 laws. They tried to cross every T and dot every I and get everything just right. Because they tried so hard to do all the details, they lost sight. Jesus said they may look good on the outside, but they were tainted and sick on the inside. Jesus gave us nine 
character traits in the Sermon on the Mount. In an effort to teach us what it's like to look like Christ, to live like our Lord in the world. And I'm going to tell you something, we can't keep a single one of them. (laughs) Without his help, our hands are tied. He talks about being merciful. As he talks to us about those traits, we begin to realize that without his help, we can do nothing. Man can clean up the outside, but only God can clean the heart. Only God can change our attitude and our thoughts. Man can treat the symptoms, but only God can cure the problem or the cause. You know, you and I get a cold, and there's not really a cure for that. About three or four days, right? That's the cure. But now you and I can go to the store. We can get some medicine, treat the symptoms. We don't feel quite as miserable, but we're still sick. So many times we want to treat the symptoms rather than cure the cause. Too often it is a personal goodness upon which we hang our hat and we stake our hopes. But it is not enough. She came forward during the invitation time and said, Preacher, I want to get baptized and join the church. He said, That's wonderful. Are you you ready to ask Jesus to forgive your sins and come into your life? Preacher, I don't don't have any sins. Then you can't be baptized. But, Preacher, you don't understand. I don't have any sins in my life. He said, Well, you can't be baptized. And finally it hit her and she struck it. She says, oh God, please forgive me for I am a sinner lost, condemned. And he said, I'd be glad to baptize you. It's not what we can do. It's not what we achieve. It's not what we've accomplished. It's not the good deeds we did for the neighbor next door or the guy across the street that made us feel good on the inside. Those things will not save us. Those are personal goodness, if you will. Secondly, it was a partial goodness. I had, a, had an uncle that I loved dearly, grew up with him. Most of his life, he was not in church. His father had been a pastor. He'd become dissatisfied with church. He was a good man. He was moral. He was ethical. He would treat you right. He would be good to you. He would be fair and honest and do everything that he possibly could to be a good, moral, ethical man. People respected his behavior. In the latter years of life, cancer struck him. Pastor of the local church where his wife went came to see him. And the preacher talked to him about facing death and about life. And he talked to him. And he said, I know you're a good man. I know you're an ethical man. But have you ever trusted Jesus? Have you ever asked him to forgive you of your sins and come into your life and be your Savior? Because goodness won't get you to heaven. And I never will forget what he later said that he told him. He said, I have been a fool. I have counted on my goodness. My good deeds will not get me in heaven. And in his 70s, struggling with cancer, he invited Christ into his life and he came forward for baptism. And he meant business for the days that he had left. Folks, Personal goodness is not enough. It was a partial goodness. In Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 42. Let me share this with you. Jesus had finished speaking. A Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and he reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before The meal was surprised. 
Now keep in mind, God had taught them the significance of, of washing, of cleansing. Now God was trying to protect them. You, you know about germs, and I know about germs. They didn't know about germs. So God taught them early on that you need to wash up, okay? And he made it a spiritual element as well as a, a physical element. But the problem was they didn't understand the physical element. All they knew was they had to do so many washings, ceremonial washings. So Jesus intentionally didn't wash up. Okay? Why? Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and the dish. But inside you're full of greed wickedness you foolish people did not the one who made the outside make the inside also but give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean for you woe to you Pharisee because you give God a tenth of your mint or your rule or all your other kinds of garden herbs but you neglect justice and the love of God you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. What's he talking about? He said, you're so meticulous. You're going to make sure you made $20. You're going to make sure God gets all two. You, you want to be careful each penny. He said, you're meticulous. You even tithe your fruit that you grow on the garden. But you don't care about justice or that people are treated right or fair or decently or honestly. It's all an outside show. It is a partial goodness. They didn't murder anybody, and yet they didn't think anything wrong with hating and despising somebody that was of a different race or a different culture or a different background. They didn't commit adultery, yet they didn't think there's anything wrong to lust after their neighbor's wife. They didn't abuse. They only retaliated an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But they didn't know anything about loving those who had mistreated them. Self-righteousness asked, how little can I do and get by? Jesus says we're to love those that mistreat us and be kind to those who treat us wrong. Pharisees said keep the laws. Jesus said love. So many today try to please God with a partial goodness. We can't replace being godly with doing a few good things. Folks, we can't buy God off. He calls upon us to become good from the inside. Let him change and cleanse our hearts. Third, it was a proud goodness. The Pharisaic religion is a proud religion. He is proud of his creation, of what he's done. Woe to you because you love the best seats in the synagogue, he went on to say. Your pride keeps you from God. They stood on the brink of a miracle loss. Jesus was there. He could have changed their world, changed their life, and sent them to heaven and changed who they were. But they were so proud of what they had become. After all, I helped somebody the other day was in trouble. So proud of what they had become. They didn't have a need for Jesus. There are many a times I've watched a man or a woman stand in a worship service deeply convicted by the Spirit of God written all over their faces. And yet they stop and the devil whispers to them, you as good as anybody in that church. And he may be right. 
may be better. But the folks, the reality is being good is not enough. We may be better than everyone here, but that doesn't eliminate our need for Jesus. Pride says I'm good enough, but goodness doesn't get us to heaven. It is the recognition of the absence thereof that opens that door of opportunity to trust the Savior. That's why Jesus said, blessed is the poor in spirit. You know what the poor in spirit is? It's the person that realizes, I'm not good enough to get there. I'm not good enough to please God. I'm lost. It is poverty of spirit. Our pride will turn us against others. We will create a proud religion. Having climbed the ladder of religious attainment, we look down on everyone else because they don't measure up to us. At least not in our eyes. You see, that was the problem with the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. You see, that story is a lot about him, not just the prodigal. It is about the brother that stayed home, went to church, did the right thing, took, up, took care of the farm and kept it going, took care of dad and mom, the family. You see, because that story tells us that though he did the right thing, his heart was filled with anger and resentment and hate and hurt and the love of Christ had no reign in his life. Our pride will drive us away from others. The self-righteous can't stand to see the prodigal pardoned because he feels like the prodigal cheated him by having to, getting the opportunity to do evil that he missed. You ever notice the only one that tells us that he lived with prostitutes was the elder brother? We don't really know exactly what he did. But the elder brother said that's what he did. Because probably in his heart he thought if I'd run off, that's what I'd have done. That was his attitude. It was a pretentious goodness. These men were not mistaken. They were liars. Nothing is as vital to your soul and my soul as being on the outside what we believe on the inside. You don't like yourself when you know what you're supposed to be and you're not that. Am I right? You ever woke up in the morning and said, I don't like the person I'm looking at this morning because I'm not what I know I'm supposed to be. Sometimes we feel that way. Folks, you can fool yourself, you can fool your friends, you can fool the preacher, but you can't fool God. It was a pretentious goodness. The goodness God loves is the imputed goodness of Christ. What does that mean? That means when we turn our life one day at a time over to Jesus and say, Lord, you help me today to see the world through your eyes. You help me today to do in this world what you need me to do to make a difference. When a man was dying, he said, don't tell me about the strong Christian's God. Tell me about the sinner's God because he's the one I want to lean on right now. It is a goodness stripped of pride the goodness God wants is our honest acknowledgement of our need for Jesus and our sincere desire to please Him. Now, what do I mean by that? We're almost through. Y'all bear with me. Lord, help us to seek the goodness that you desire in our lives. Now, here's three things I want you to think about with me quickly. God, help me to sense 
the hurting ones, that I may help them. Help me to see the invisible ones, that I may care. And help me to steer the wandering ones, that they may find their way. What do you mean by that, Brother Ken? There's some people out there, we don't see them. They don't matter to us, but they matter to God. And God wants you and I to look beyond the outside and see the inside. I want to tell you a little story this morning about Teddy. Teddy was in the fifth grade. His name was Teddy Stallard. He had a teacher named Miss Thompson. When Teddy would come to school, he'd come with his hair uncombed. His clothes would be all wrinkled up. Teddy was one of those kind of kids that had that blank stare on his face. And when he spoke to the teacher, he always spoke in monotone. In quite frank honesty, Teddy was one of those kids that's kind of hard to like. Just didn't seem like he was there. When Miss Thompson would grade his papers and she would put the X where he'd missed them. And when she'd come to the time to put an F on the paper, it's almost like she would do it with a flare in her frustration. She had always said, I love my kids, I love my students. But deep down in her heart, she knew maybe Teddy was kind of an exception. She should have known better. She had his record. Let me just share it with you. First grade. Teddy shows promise with his work. An attitude, but poor home situation. Second grade note. Teddy could do better. Mother is seriously ill. He receives little help at home. Third grade note. Teddy is a good boy, but too serious. He is a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade. Teddy is very slow but well-behaved. His father shows no interest. He is now in Miss Thompson's room. Christmas has come and all the kids have come and they have laid their presents on her desk and they've gathered around to watch her open them. Finally, she comes to one wrapped in brown paper like a sack and taped up with a little tape. And as she opens it, a rhinestone necklace falls out with half the stones gone. And a bottle of cheap perfume lands on her desk. She's kind enough, as the kids began to snicker, to put the bracelet quickly on and to take and put a little perfume on her finger and touch her ears and say to the class, my, doesn't that smell good? And everybody says, uh-huh. When the class is emptied, Teddy is left behind. He has lingered for a few moments. He comes into the room from the back and he says to Miss Thompson, You smell just like my mother, and her bracelet looks really good on you. I'm glad you like my present. And he walks out of the room. By her desk, Miss Thompson kneels down. She prays and she asks God to forgive her. She makes a commitment to make a difference. When the class came to school on the following Monday, they had a new teacher. Oh, it was Miss Thompson. 
But she had now become not just a teacher, but an agent of God. Just like you and I, wherever God has placed us, we need to see ourselves as agents of God. She did love them. And now she would take special care to try to help them learn and understand, especially the hard ones, the ones that struggled, like Teddy. By the end of the year, Teddy had made remarkable improvement. He had caught up with most of the class and and even went ahead of some of the others. For the next seven years, she didn't see Teddy. Then a note came in the mail. Dear Miss Thompson, it said, I just want you to know that I graduated second in my class. Love, Teddy. Four years pass. She doesn't hear anything. And then another note comes. Dear Miss Thompson, I found out today that I am graduating head of my class. College was hard, but I liked it. Love, Teddy. And four more years passed. And here's what he said. Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stollard, M.D. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, the 27th, to be exact. I want you to come and sit where my mother would have said, if she were alive. Dad died last year. You're the only family I have left. Miss Thompson did go. And she said right where she should have said. In his mom's spot. Guys, you and I can make a difference. If we let the dye of Christ color our lives with his love and his kindness and his compassion. All I'm trying to say is God has called us to let the goodness of Christ flow through us. That's the goodness God's looking for. It's not what we can do. It's what he can do as we surrender our life and our will one day at a time to his will. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, be with us, Lord, this morning as we gather. Lord, in all honesty, we must admit and acknowledge that so many times we fail. But Lord, somehow, some way, help us to realize that you want us to learn love not in word, but in action and in deed. Lord, help us to conquer the pride and the selfishness that so often reigns our lives. And help us to learn to let your will flow through us and your kindness be expressed through us to a world around us. In Christ's name, Lord, we pray.